created live on Fireside. Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. I am, I am your host and welcome to the next evolution of professional development in higher education. Uh, every week, it is my honor to bring you higher education thought leaders, topics of note, current trends, and new information to ponder. Be sure to subscribe to my newsletter, What's Up in the Academy, on the Substack platform. It is the number one higher education Substack. And uh, be sure to follow me here on Twitter, uh, sorry, on Fireside Twitter and on LinkedIn. Uh, today's topic is we are going to be spilling the commencement tea. And uh, you will meet my guest, Patrick Romero Aldaz, in just a moment. But for right now, we are going to give you the latest news in higher ed, uh, what we are following on, uh, on the interwebs. Uh, according to Inside Higher Education, uh, there is a decline in black male and Latino students planning on college. This is not new information. We've talked about this on weeks past. The percentage of male and Latino black high school seniors who want to go to college has declined in the last three years. Youth Truth, a nonprofit, surveyed 22,000 members of the class of 2022 and compared the results with a similar survey from the class of 2019, the last high school class to to predate the pandemic. Among the results of this uh, survey, the percentage of Latino students who want to go to college dropped from 79% to 71%. The percentage of black students who wanted to go to college dropped from 79% to 72%. And the percentage of all male students who want to go to college dropped from 74% to 67%. Uh, this, is in, uh, this is quite important as we look at the uh, continued declines in traditionally Age college students enrolling on our campuses. Um, also, today's news from Higher Ed Dive uh, students, higher ed leaders diverge on post COVID priorities. Uh, according to this article, college students and educators aren't quite aligned with each other about how higher ed should proceed once COVID 19 is no longer a public health emergency. According to a new survey uh, covering 10 countries around the world from Anthology, a Florida-based education technology company. And uh, according to the survey, uh, in North America, roughly one in four student leaders said their institutions don't plan to offer remote or virtual class options by 2025, but 63% said they preferred fully online classes or classes that blend in uh, both personal, uh, in-person, as well as remote learning, and 23% that they prefer a mix of in-person and online courses. Uh, this is an interesting conversation, not only for learning, but also for employment. And then finally, uh, pandemic student loan pause mostly helps borrowers who can afford to pay, according to a report published today in Higher Ed Dive. Uh, three quarters of surveyed federal student loan borrowers who were making regular payments before the the pandemic prompted the federal uh, government to freeze payment and interest accumulation, expect to be able to resume payments after the pause ends, according to a new poll, uh, new report from the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia. Meanwhile, over one-fifth of surveyed borrowers with federal student loans are, 
are chronically struggling, meaning they don't make payments in 2019 and don't expect to do so when the freeze ends. So we're going to keep an eye on this. And uh, there is a lot more conversation to be had about student loan debt, about the uh, any kind of relief in that way. Um, and uh, there will be more coming, obviously. So uh, again, this is uh, Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. We took a few weeks off because it's the end of the semester and we had exams and we had all kinds of things going on. And I want to invite uh, our uh, guest uh, to the microphone. Uh, Patrick, you can take yourself off mute and uh, introduce yourself to the world. Uh, this is Patrick Romero-Aldaz. Uh, he is going to be joining me today. Uh, we are going to be spilling the tea about graduation day, what makes it look just right. Uh, and we are going to share some of our favorite moments and parts of the, the life that wanted to uh, pull our hair out. Uh, Patrick is an old friend and currently serves as the Associate Vice President, Dean of Students at Regis University in Denver, Colorado, uh, where he has been since June of 2018. Prior to this role, Patrick was the Dean of Student Engagement and Leadership at Mount Ida College in Newton, Massachusetts, where we work together. He holds a Master's of Arts in Educational Leadership and Policy Studies from Virginia Tech University and a Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology from the University of New Mexico. A dedicated higher education professional, Patrick has committed his career to advancing student access, engagement, leadership, and tradition. Central to his work is a strong ethic of care and commitment for equity, diversity, and inclusion. As a first-generation college student himself, he recognizes the gift that is higher education and works to ensure that students he works with uh, can benefit from education to advance their goals and dreams. A native of Colorado, Patrick lives in Denver with his partner, Sam, and enjoys spending free time traveling and enjoying the culinary arts. Um, and he is quite, uh, we will also talk about his his love of uplighting, uh, I'm sure, at some point. Uh, and so, Patrick, welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. Thank you so much, Laura. Um, good afternoon, or I guess good morning, good afternoon, wherever you might be. Uh, my name is Patrick Romero Dawes, as Laura said, um, and I had the pleasure of working with Laura for a number of years, and um, I think that's where she learned of my um, great love for all that is pomp and circumstance um, and tradition, and all those things that come about with the commencement time frame. And so excited to talk about it today, and you know maybe wax on of our past. Um, Yesterday I had, I had um, and I'm cutting you off and you're used to that, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say, uh, yesterday I had a, an event at Boston College where I'm teaching and uh, we were talking about pomp and circumstance and the other faculty were looking at me like I had literally lost my mind. I was like, oh, tell me more about your regalia. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, have you pressed it? Is it steamed? Okay. So, so Patrick, I want to frame your experience with all of this. Tell me about your graduation and you were a first generation college student. Um, what do you remember about your own graduation? Yeah, well, I think for me, I think my love of graduations and such started when I was really young, actually, because I lived in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And one of the things that we always would do was go to the Air Force Academy graduation. And so that is very much um uh, a ceremony that is based in tradition and, and kind of history. And so I always looked forward to that opportunity, knowing that I was going to go to college from a young age. And, you know, my own university graduation 
um, was one that, which I would say was really great and exciting. Um, I was actually an RA at the time as well. And so one of the things that I always laugh about is on my graduation morning, you know, getting ready for graduation and moving um, students out of the halls and things of that sort. Um, I didn't even remember that it was my 23rd birthday. Um, and so, you know, graduation was one of those experiences where we had looked forward to it for so long. I think my entire family um, took up a, a floor of a, of a hotel. Um, and, you know, it was very much a family affair. And so I think going to the pit at the University of New Mexico, which is where commencement is held, um, it was just kind of awe-inspiring to be able to walk into a space and have a sea of um, cherry um, caps and gowns, because that's what we wore at that time. And I think some of the things that I remember specifically is, you know, I think the joy and the celebration of having achieved that that moment. Um, I think some frustration that as a um, bachelor student, I did not get the honor of walking across the stage mm. and having my name called because it was a very large institution. Um, but then also recognizing some of the interesting things that you could do for commencement to introduce tradition and, and culture and climate. And so for the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque, very much a Hispanic serving institution. Um, one of the things that I will always remember is, you know, after we got to, you know, turn our cast or the tassel from one side of the, the mortarboard to the other, um, immediately a mariachi band started and that is what led the procession out of the arena. Um, and that's just very much part of that culture. And I think that that is something that is, you know, really important to me about commencement exercises is how does it speak to the institution and to the things that students will remember. Absolutely. And, and thank you for bringing that up. And I, I want to uh, welcome everybody who you might be new to Fireside. I want to give you a little, uh, little orientation. The other thing that Patrick does very well is orientation. I want to give you a little orientation to the app real quick. Um, if you uh, go to the hamburger, which is in the lower left-hand corner, the little dot, uh, sorry, the, uh, the, the round circle with the two lines in it, that's the hamburger. Um, if you click on that, you'll see an option to broadcast to the world. Um, that allows you to copy and paste the uh, link of this uh, broadcast to any of your social media accounts. And so you can do that right now. And that way you can share this experience with other folks. Um, if you would like to ask a question uh, or join us here on stage, you can request to come on up on the stage. Um, and you can also react. Uh, no one in the lower right-hand corner, you see a react button where you can laugh, you can clap, you can uh, make poop emoji sounds, which I would provide really prefer not to, but if we're doing that and you feel it's a mood, a mood moment, go ahead. Um, so, uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, one of the things when I was thinking about this show, Patrick, because you hit the nail on the head at the beginning here, when you were really talking about, um, your experience as an undergrad, I remember my graduation from college back in the late nineties, late eighties, excuse me. I graduated from college in 1989 and we didn't have just one head of state. We had two. Um, I graduated from Boston University uh, and it was their sesquicentennial and they decided to go with a bang and they had the first President Bush and also Francois Mitterrand, who was the president of France at the time. So we had two heads of state, which, you know, when we think about back to... <laughs> This was one of those moments where you have to be at commencement at like 5 a.m. because everybody needs to check you. Um, we had to be checked by Secret Service and all that kind of thing. Um, and I remember they had uh, people 
get there early and they were handing out flags to all the people coming in, all the, the spectators. And they gave out a uh, U.S. flag, they gave out a French flag, and they gave out a BU flag. And I was looking and now you're there and it's very overwhelming and you know that there's tens of thousands of people there watching and I'm thinking, there is no way I'm going to see my family. There is no way I'm going to be able to pick them out. And um, I remember clearly walking in, I was going down a ramp and my father had asked me, well, do you know how you're getting in? I'm like, I, I, I looked at this map that was mimeoed out because it was 1989. <laughs> there was no internet or anything like that. And I was like, it looks like I'm coming in this way, but I don't know. And um, rarely, for those people who are not higher ed folks, you know that it is not always typical to be able to do a rehearsal, especially at a university that's really big. Smaller colleges, yes, but big universities, no. Um, and I said, this is, I think, where it is. And we were coming in that morning, and the pomp and circumstance starts playing, and the band and everything. And I look to my left, and I see my father who had gotten in, he was the second person in the, in the stadium. And he came in and he had his little US flag and he's just waving it like this. And that's what people think about, what do you remember about your graduation? I remember my father sitting there with his one flag. And I asked him at the end, I'm like, you only took a US flag, dad? He goes, I'm not French. <laughs> I said, all right, dad. So there um and you know and it does it I think that my graduation was so positive and it was so well done that when I think about what when I sit there and I frame college graduations and the student experience it really is the pinnacle experience of them and they need to be respected uh in terms of what that actually looks like and you know as time has gone on for you and you've looked at commencements, I mean, how many graduation ceremonies do you think you've been to in your career? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, including growing up as a child, probably well over 50 or so. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with families, our family members graduating, friends, et cetera, um, I think personally that I've been involved in or had a stake in probably about 10 to 15. Yeah. Um, and so I, I've got to see a number of different approaches, yeah. <laughs> um, some, some great and some not so great, um, I think from a student-centered approach. And I think it's interesting to see kind of, again, the culture of the institution come out and you know, you, you're also able to see what's really important to the institution through that experience. So talk to me, what's a student-centered approach? Um, I, th I think that, you know, oftentimes through the commencement experience, my um, I think my observations are that some institutions really hold that as a, a pristine academic exercise that mm. is very um, formulaic, um, that is almost institutional in nature in terms of, you know, there's not a whole lot of frivolity to it or celebration mm -hmm. even, you know, some institutions um, the leadership make decisions that students cannot celebrate themselves or their involvements through uses of stoles or, or cords or those types of things. And then you have the other uh, other end where it really is about the student. And I think that student centered is, you know, that potentially there's a student speaker, that students get to celebrate their experience, that there's not a whole lot of clamping down of the excitement that is that event. Um, I think, you know, there always needs to be an esteem because it is an academic exercise and there is a uh, an importance and a gravity to that event. 
Um, but I think that, you know, one of the things that, and, you know, I, I think our time working together that I really tried to strike the balance of is how is this about the students and celebrating the, the achievements of the university or the, mm-hmm. the college at the time, you know, um, and I think probably, you know, I would argue that the last commencement that we engaged with is probably the pinnacle of experience because that was totally about the students yeah. and how they wanted to move forward and remember their time. Um, and I, I look back at that experience really fondly because I think that that is where we got it 100% correct. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that most institutions would ever go as far probably as we did um, in, in that instance. Um, and I think the circumstances helped to create that. But um, I think really making sure that students are involved and, in, you know, how do they want to be celebrated? How do they want to remember this experience? Are students connected to the selection or um, um, of not, not uh, commencement speakers or kind of how they engage that? Um, I think those things are really important. I think one of the things that my current institution did this year is we reinstated a student speaker um, because that had been done away with for many years. And I think that is another way for students to feel themselves as part of the exercise. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the students, there needs to be uh, an undergraduate element of the event uh, and it really adds to the flair and it adds to the personality and it adds to the connection. And for those who uh, are wondering what Patrick's referring to earlier about the last commencement we got to participate in. Um, as was stated in the introduction, Patrick and I worked at Mount Ida College together and Mount Ida closed as an institution in uh, the spring of 2018. And at the time, uh, our students uh, who were graduating, we, you know, basically they took over graduation. They disinvited some people. They, I mean, it was pretty uh, startling, but in some ways, but in some other ways, they actually ran the entire ceremony. And it, I remember sitting on the stage because they had invited us to be part of it. They were gracious enough to invite me to be their speaker, which I'm still very proud of that moment. Um, but there was one of our more crotchety uh, faculty members sitting behind me <laughs> and the students decided to hand out honorary degrees to people who mattered to them, uh, not to maybe high profile people or politicians or something of that nature. And they handed it out to uh there was people who worked in the dining hall and made their sandwiches and the football coach and people of like that who they really cared about. And the faculty member who sat behind me said, why the hell have we been doing this all along? <laughs> and I literally went and turned around. I was like, you're the last person I really thought I would have heard that from. So, but, but there is a certain amount of that experience. I, I mean, what I've been saying to people is you don't have to close a college to make a student-centered uh, graduation and really put people first. Um, and, and, you know, I think that there's a, a certain amount of that where when you talk about the student speaker, though, I, I, as I was prepping for today's show, sometimes some of the most uh, stressful parts of life heading up to the event isn't the florist or, uh, you know, some of the big things like, oh, we don't have enough chairs or something of that nature, which those things do bother you. But when you have a student speaker who's not all that comfortable speaking and you have to do the coaching. And I remember um, 
speaking with a student uh, who just could not get certain words out and it, they didn't have a speech impediment or something like that. They just were so, they, they got cotton mouth as soon as they even started thinking about it. And I, I had to kind of coach them through like, what is it that, why are you excited about being here on stage and what is it? And all she kept thinking about was, you know, well, I don't want to mess this up because my mom is such a good speaker and I'm not. And I said, I need you to think of yourself as the speaker. You need to be confident in yourself. What can I do to help you? And, and there were certain aspects of that where I've never felt so much tension. And when she was done, I was sweating. Like when it was over, I could feel underneath my cap and gown. I was soaked because I was so worried about her. Um, but, you know, you see people get up there and they speak and it's a beautiful moment for them. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that when I think of the student speakers and why they actually are motivated to speak, I know I have a bias. There's some campuses I've worked at is that if you're the student government president or you are the class president, you're the speaker. And then there's other places where people actually compete to speak. Um, I like the compete to speak because they might be better at it from the get-go. Um, but then there's also you see the promise of the person who has risen to the occasion to lead, but may not be a great speaker. I, I don't know. Do you have a, do you have a, a bias as far as that's concerned? Yeah. I, I mean, I think I would agree with you. I think that it's oftentimes better to potentially go with a, maybe a competitive or where students get to submit and are, have the opportunity for coaching. Cause I think they choose that experience. And so I think there is an importance also of recognizing that, because you're not elected to a position or something of that that sort doesn't mean you're you're not a leader and you know that you might have the person who maybe is not the student government president or the class president um, but really just has an important message to send they've had a really great experience they've had a very particular experience at the institution and it demonstrates to the community that leadership looks different for everybody. Right. Um, and so I like to lean into that direction so that it is almost challenged by choice and that, mm -hmm. you know, students are electing to do that um, versus kind of the elected route. Um, we chose to go with the elected route this year. And I think that we will continue that for some time because um, of the nature and the history of our institution. Um, but I think, you know, if I had my druthers and was making the decision, I would I would try to veer us into uh, uh, somewhat of a competitive or a submission oriented process, um, because you also get to hear from students that maybe you don't necessarily hear from. So let's let's take a look at the commencement speakers themselves, the big names, okay? And uh, we've all had our, our exposure to folks. My one of my favorite moments we had uh, Joe Kennedy, who was a state, uh, who was a congressional uh, congressman at the time, representing our our congressional district where our, our college was, and he took off with his regalia when it was over. <laughs> and I was literally like, I'm like. I need the congressman to bring the cap and gown back. <laughs> so, um, you know, do you have any fond memories of the keynote speaker uh, at any institutions that you've had uh, and things that you say they really met the mark? And I, I will say I will I will give a, a pass to Congressman Kennedy uh, because he actually did a wonderful job with his speech. He really took time 
to bring up things that actually were part of the student experience. Getting back to your point, Patrick, earlier, when the speaker actually brings up places like the favorite place to get pizza, the bar the students like to go to, some of the slang that they use on campus, his people really did the pre-work to make sure it sounded to the students that this wasn't just the same speech that the, the congressman might have given at any campus. Um, and that, that meant a lot to them. And I remember the students really feeling a sense of, of connection to that. So have you any favorite speakers that you ever had? You know, what's really funny is, um, and kind of reading the notes in preparation for today, um, I started thinking back and I, I don't remember a whole lot of the speakers by name. Um, and what I thought was really interesting about that as I reflected upon it is, um, the selection of the speaker oftentimes is a um, process of great consternation for the leadership of the institution. Um, a lot of, you know, there's arguments and, you know, who is it and how are they going to be received and all of those things. And mm-hmm. um, what I have found in my time is that commencement speakers that connect to the students or their experience um, or that speak to the values and priorities of the institution are really those those um, speakers that I think have the greatest impact and that students actually remember. They may not necessarily remember the name. You know, as I said, I've been probably to, to 50 plus different commencement exercises. And, you know, of course I remember when the president or the vice president was at the Air Force Academy or, you know, the, the ones that you see when, you know, Steve Jobs gives uh, gave his commencement speeches and things of that sort, you remember those because of the celebrity of the person. Mm-hmm. Um but oftentimes, if you actually read through those speeches after the fact, they are less about the student and the the culture and the climate of the institution. Um, and while they may have great messages, um, I think because of who I am and I think my tradition rich um, drive, mm-hmm. I really you know clamor to those experiences that really speak to what the students experience during their time or you know what the institution values. I absolutely agree with you. They had, um, they, I saw, I, I like to watch what's happening right now. So like, you know, your point about the consternation of the campus, Pace University, the students have put out a, um, in New York, it's in, uh, part of, uh, there, there's a couple campuses, but there's one that's affiliated with New York City and closer to New York City. And they have invited Mayor Adams, who is not very popular uh, right now and very controversial, especially as his treatment of homeless people and uh, his his drive uh, as far as backing the police department. And uh, Pace is a, a heavily uh, underrepresented student uh, population, uh, lots of black and brown students, uh, and they are not happy with that with that pick. And your point is, I mean, we've had heated conversations, you and I, about picking of commencement speakers. And we worked with a unif- with a college where the president was did not want to involve the students in the selection of the of the speaker, especially on a small campus like that. And um, and it's too bad. And it allowed for some real like, eh, why is this person being selected? Is it because of politics? Is it because of trying to get a donation? Um, and and sometimes it really it kind of hurts the the piece. And and you know, 
And then you have those things in the end, like a Bill Cosby situation where campuses are saying, well, we're going to take the honorary degree back. Um, we, and, and I hate to say it with, with the, with the Cosby stuff, he got paid. Like that was one of the things that everybody who knew anything about commencement speakers knew Cosby was getting paid like 20 grand, if not more per speech. And I said, yeah, it's nice that you're taking away that honorary degree, but his cash, his cash flow has not been impacted at all because of this. Right. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point. You know, my own alma mater for my master's work, Virginia Tech, I think a very similar situation. There is a tradition at Virginia Tech that you, um, the institution invites the um, most recent governor to speak at their commencement. And there's been conversation at Virginia Tech recently because Governor Youngkin was invited and did speak at commencement. Um, and the Graduate Student Council and some of the undergraduate uh, leadership entities really expressed concern that are we placing tradition over our own values? Right. Um, and, um, you know, I think that's really important for institutions to, to consider it given in particular our current political context mm -hmm. and the state of the world that we're in right now is that, you know, oftentimes, you know, as a person who is a traditionalist, I am very much about how do we continue um, traditions to the betterment. Sometimes those traditions- Not a Supreme be Court traditionalist, yeah. but a- <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, tradition deserves to be interrogated and right. it doesn't serve where we are right now. And- um, I think that that is, you know, you know, then I look at institutions and I can't recall the institution where Billie Jean King was the oh, was at Springfield. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. At Springfield College, yeah. um, the commencement speaker. And, you know, I think doing what she did at the end of it, she had a very short, sweet speech that was impactful. But, you know, having somebody with her notoriety, you know, lob tennis balls that were signed into the audience. That awesome. is, those are things that I think students will will remember and hold on to. Right. And Springfield College has a very strong background in physical education and has a very strong background in, in uh, inclusiveness as far as women in terms of uh, women's athletics. Um, and so Billie Jean King, as a speaker there, was, a, a, a first of all, a great pick for that particular institution and, and getting to their values and their traditions and what they're all about. Um, but when you watch the video of uh, her and several of the senior administrators just using tennis rackets and lobbing balls into the, into the, into the audience, I just from that moment of glee and joy and celebration and fun, and that's what a commencement should feel like. You need to feel like there's almost this release of, of happiness and fun. And, um, but I also, I love a commencement when the students walk in and they go, yeah. like when they have that kind of moment. And, you know, that's one of the things when you and I first started working together and you got into the commencement uh, side of life and you saw what our commencement <laughs> stage look like and i felt like well, we had kind of moved to another level you should have seen it previously <laughs> that um you're like no <laughs> yeah i remember very clearly that conversation i was in a one-on-one -on -one with laura and she said you know i've been thinking about um bringing you into the leadership of commencement and i want to talk to you about that and she had sent me some links of past year's um photos and things of that sort and i i mean immediately i said i'm happy to do this um but we will change the look of commencement uh, because i i can't have my name associated with some of those things 
sounded very, you know, now that I look at it, it sounds very pompous, but it really is for me about how to create that awe and that, 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 that almost that gasp when students are walking in or parents and families who have really invested in their students' success. Um, to know that the institution is also investing in the celebration of that achievement. Yeah, we had, um, you know, we we went everything from banners, uh, a new banner, because we had also re, we had also kind of collided with uh, the campus had done a rebranding, so we had to get all new stuff, um, and so we were trying to also not break the bank in terms of what we were trying to spend and what we were going to use it again for. And, and I will say Patrick's very good about, okay, let's, let's rationalize this. We can use this again and we'll use it in these ways. And I was like, all right, whatever. Um, but you, you brought something to the, the vernacular on our campus that we never had, which was something called, it's called a gonfalon. Okay. And most people who are looking at a stage at a commencement are going to go, Oh, those are banners. And you're like, no, 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 those are gonfalons. <laughs> and, and explain for the audience who may not be aware, what is a gonfalon? Yeah, so a, a gonfalon um, dates back to the 1500s, um, oftentimes used in royalty and heraldry. Um, it is a banner of sorts, but it typically displays um, a coat of arms or a crest of an institution or something of that sort um, and is hold in higher regard because of that connection to the history and the tradition. And so I think it's clearly just another word um, that is a bit more um, probably archaic than we use in current day um, communication. Um, but it's funny that you say that because I was watching the University of New Mexico's commencement um, the other morning and um, they do a whole conversation about the bringing in of the school banners and immediately i was like they're not banners um not and banners. have since sent an email to um the president's office <laughs> um because it's important you know as a, an institution of higher education we are continuing to educate and make sure that people know kind of what is the, what are the what is the correct terminology and how you know because there's a history and a context to it Right. And, it's, you know, it's kind of like when you when you have someone who's not into sports and they say, well, that's a nice hat on the baseball player. It's like, it's a cap. It's a baseball cap. It's not a hat. It's a cap. And it's funny now, you know, Laura says that I, we introduced that to the Mount Ida community. It's funny now that I have colleagues from Mount Ida who still regularly if they're at a commencement experience or an inauguration of a president or what have you and they see them they're all always get a text we have gone for <laughs> and so we have a yeah. gone for and, <laughs> and there was i mean we've had so now i will say you know i was trying to prep for this and i say what are some of the things i remember and and about a commencement and um you know weather has always been this <laughs> I see your face right now. He's twitching. For those of you not watching right now, literally Patrick's eyeball is just like going boing, boing, boing. You know, when com commencements for the most, for many institutions have to happen outside because of the size, because of how many people most campuses can't, you know, now I, I will say, you know, if I'm University of Michigan, I have a stadium that can hold X amount of tens of thousands of people, whatever. Um, but most institutions don't have that. Um, and they have to do it outside. And weather happens outside. Um, and uh, I remember um, the first year of the gonfalons, we did not know how to really 
how the impact of the wind would have on the back of the of the 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 tent that was then hitting the gonfalons and i remember us going out and finding um sandbags and having to put them all down and try to keep everything to look nice like and that's a lot of this is where what the audience sees is oh that looks lovely and what you don't see is the work study students sitting behind the the stage holding Gonfalon up because he's literally lying on the ground trying to keep this thing from falling <laughs> and I just remember like oh my god what's happening um so uh you know I think about these things but I wanted to touch base on on the one year we had to move commencement because of weather yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that still gives me nightmares. Um, it was a, you know, I mean, if you know anything about Laura, and I'm sure, you know, in following this, you know that she is a very planful person, and and um, I think expects that of the people she works with. And so, one of the expectations of me in taking over commencement was that I continued um, her formulary or a formulary for the planning, which literally is probably a forty-page document um, that minute by minute the week before or uh, for commencement it is detailed who was doing what when are things being delivered when can somebody you know drop off things all of those things are in this binder um i actually affectionately still have um the last formulary from mount ida um because um it just it was a, a very different experience and so it's something i want to hold on to um but you know i think that year in particular, um, we were expecting um, a nor'easter, the weekend of um, commencement. And traditionally, commencement was on a Sunday, um, Mother's Day, typically. <laughs> um, and we were watching um, the weather all week long. And um, it wasn't getting better. It was getting wasn't better. getting any better. Um, we didn't know. Um, and unfortunately, the tent provider for the institution also didn't know the um, specs with regards to what could the tent withhold or withstand in terms of um, gusts of wind and things of that sort. And so we spent a good part of that week trying to figure that out and calling nearly every um, tent provider possible to see if the, the manufacturer could help us or what have you. And um, we learned during that time that we had the largest tent on the Eastern seaboard of the United States. Um, uh, which was interesting for a small private school. Um, but we had a lot of first generation students. And so um, it wasn't just one or two family members who came to commencement. It was 10, 12, 15. <laughs> and so for a, a relatively small class, we had a really large commencement experience. And so um, that commencement, I think we went plan A, plan B, I think all the way to plan E. <laughs> um and ended up having to make a decision on Friday afternoon mm -hmm. that we were moving commencement to Saturday. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, not something I would advise <laughs> ever yeah. to anybody. Um, in particular, because students and families had made a lot of plans and, you know, dinners on Saturday night prior to commencement on Sunday and things of that sort. And we had to make the decision, you know, do we want to celebrate students in the in in the way that you know we can, um, and make this really tough decision, or do we want to completely do away with a commencement exercise and and potentially leave that as the memory in, in you know students and families' minds? And I think we 
we did make the best decision, I think, for the institution and for what we valued um, and what we wanted to honor with regards to our students. But there was a lot of um, strife. Um, I think I remember making the announcement to students as they were preparing to go out on a Friday night um, senior. Were, uh, many of them were drunk at the time. So, you know, making an unpopular announcement when people have been pre-gaming for a few hours is, is I would not advise it. Yeah. And so, um, but it is, yeah, it is one of the things that still haunts me. And uh, while I still believe that we made the right decision, um, I think our, it's something I would advise people to be really wary of as they, you know, they venture through those experiences or to have a pre-plan. And I, I've seen institutions um, that in advance advertise what is their implement weather plan. And they do say things like we will move commencement to another day or, you know, what have you. Um, or if it's moved inside, you have two tickets. And, and yep. we went through all of those, uh, those incarnations of what that would look like. And I think that, you know, I, I think when we look at these things, and it, and it does inform what came in the future, is that ultimately these events are really about the student. And uh, we wanted to make sure that the students could all be there with their full population of family um, and ultimately to us, that's what really drove the final decision is we want you to be able to bring everybody. Um, we don't want you to bring one person or two people, which is what we would have ended up having to do. And um, I think ultimately we did the right thing and, and the event came off well. And then even though we had the biggest the biggest tent, we went with a bigger tent the next year to say we need to go with, you know, a hurricane quality tent. And uh, that's what you end up doing. And, you know, ultimately, one of the things that comes down to these events is you have these keynote speakers and you have people on the stage. And we talked about the main speaker, um, but then there's also those honorary degree recipients and um, people who you end up having to spend a lot of time um, kind of jockeying them around, you know, and there was, there's been a lot of people who I can think of in my time where I'm like, I'm not really sure why we invited this person, um, but they have created this, this has now become their event. And this is not what this is about. Like this should be the student event. Um, and uh, we had a, I'm not going to name the brand of the company because it would be, um, on, it would be wrong and of me to do, but we had a, a jewelry designer who got an honorary degree one year, and um, th this person had a, a had a large um, a cadre of people who were there to handle them um, and bring them around from her from her own company. Um, but then we had to handle those people because it was, and when does she get to speak? No, no, you were told she's not speaking. She's just standing up. We're talking about her. We're going to give her this degree and it's very nice, but she's ready to speak. Well, she's not speaking, <laughs> you know? And then it was like, I, is there, is there this, is there that, how, where is she going to have There's Where's hair and makeup? There's no hair and makeup. We have a tent. We're not doing it. <laughs> you know, it was a lot. And when you look at these things, and I think that people don't really realize there's a lot of ego that goes on to some of these stages. Um, there's a lot of things that uh, we have to deal with. Um, and I've seen things go well, and I've seen things get a little snippy. Um, 
but you can't see that in the front. And, and, you know, when you're picking uh, things you want to battle, I'd rather battle that we were able to announce every student's name and their honors and be able to say their name correctly and not get into a fight over which honorary degree recipients are we going to invite to campus. So there's like these battles that I'm willing to, to wage. Um, and, and the honorary degree recipients are not necessarily them. A lot of times it kind of comes from uh, someone in the development office who thinks that this is gonna be a big donor someday, um, which rarely turns into that. <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, uh, and your point about those kind of eye-rolly moments and, and things like that, like you remember that, that you didn't have your name called as a first year student, as a, as a graduate. Um, and that that's, has a lasting impression. It's important to be able to uh, say a student's name and you brought up uh, first generation students. One of my favorite memories was there was one morning um, on one of the campuses and, and uh, it was at Mount Ida and it was basically a Winnebago pulled up and about 40 people got off the thing at like seven in the morning and I was like, hello. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we're here for graduation. Okay, come on in. And I'm like, do you want anything to eat? Nope. We're sitting down and we're getting the best seats and we're not moving. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, all good. But this was a first generation student. And what this accomplishment was, was not only for, for that student, but for the family. And that's part of making sure that you are staying true to your institution. If you are a large first-generation student population, this is more than just about the students. This is about the family. This is about that expectation that this is a pinnacle experience for that, for that community. Um, is there something that campuses miss when they don't put that first, do you think, Patrick? Yeah, I mean, I think they do. Um, or there is something that is missing. You know, I think that that's where you get into situations. And I've had conversations with students who have either are graduates who have not attended their commencement um, or things of that sort. And I think you get into that culture where commencement is not important when it's not about the, the student and their family and that those experiences and, and doing those things. And so I think that, you know, it's probably the bane of a president or a provost's existence um, to try to jockey the conversation of, well, your speech can only be three minutes and your speech can, you know, have you. And how do we keep the script as short as possible? Um, but I think making sure that we're prioritizing the, the calling of a name or what have you. And, you know, looking back on my experience, some, you know, over almost 20 years, some over 20 years ago, um, I look back on it and I say, you know, it makes sense. The University of New Mexico, we had, you know, how many graduates, what have you. What is interesting is watching commencement this last weekend, they now say the name of every doctoral, master's and bachelor's level student. Um, and so that does lead to a three hour long commencement. Um, but I wonder what the, the, you know, is the trade-off that they have students who feel like they've been seen and, and recognized and celebrated. Mm -hmm. um, and I probably would have sat through a three and a half hour long commencement if it meant that I could celebrate my achievement in the arena versus mm -hmm. then a, a, a side room two days later or what have you. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's really important to consider those things. I think celebrating, um, I think especially as we see the demographic shift of students attending um, 
higher education and, and having um, the ability to access ed education at higher levels. So we look towards the Latinx population as a growing population in higher education. Um, institutions really have to consider what is the value of family that is placed within the dynamic of the, the student experience and how do we integrate that in both serving our students in the four years or five years leading up to that, that commencement exercise and then how do we kind of have that capstone experience be about both the student and all that have helped them to get there. I think one of the things that I always uh, was really important to me, and you were, we were joking earlier about the gonfalons and where that came from and all that, is that one of the things I always try to do when any campus I worked at, um, and I've worked on five different campuses and I had some play in uh, commencement on, on all of them, um, is that what I wanted to do is make the students understand what is the ceremony, what is it all about, and where did it all kind of come from. And when you explain to them what the the colors mean in terms of the academic colors, and so you know when you have a hood, um, which is the, the you know where I, people would call it a shawl, which is not what it is, but the the thing you put over your cap, uh, over your gown. Um, and there's different lengths to it from a, a bachelor's length. With like I I will also fight people saying I don't know if it's bachelor's rank it's not really part of the true tradition, the bachelor's level, but um, then you go to the master's and then the doctoral level, the colors actually matter, the colors. So my doctorate degree is in education, that's light blue is that color. And that's at every college and university that, that offers that, that program or, or that major uh, pro and And then the institution that awarded it, in my case, Northeastern University, the colors are, are a burgundy. And so there's a burgundy with a white um, kind of color on the inside. And I say, so you can tell where somebody went to school and you can see that. And people, I always like to tell that to students and show them the hood and show them what it meant. And they all went, oh, like this is bigger than me. This is this is bigger than this institution. And when you kind of bring them into the ceremony and the tradition, they have a stronger appreciation for it. They may not be able to rattle off what everything means and they may not all that, but they at least have like kind of a, a, a link into it. And I really enjoy seeing that as far as their their exposure to what is the academy and what actually all of this is rooted in. Um, and they actually seem to kind of enjoy it. And, and you're, when you brought up before about the gonfalons and their, you know, bringing them in, you know, and, and what this all meant from a coat of arms kind of standpoint, and it has this kind of, you know, uh, forever ago kind of feel to it. They, I think there's a connection to the, the long storied history of education. Um, is there something that you think is really important for campuses to do that we just don't spend the time on to make these commencement ceremonies even more impactful on the students? I, I, I think that you speak to something that I, you know, I learned actually at the University of New Mexico. I don't recall this from my time there, but in watching it this weekend, they actually talk about that history and how it connects back over time. Um, they talk about the colors of, um, tassels for bachelor's level students and for the um, hoods for master's and doctoral level students. And really they bring them into that. And so I think that is that education piece 
um, as part of a lead up to commencement. Um, it doesn't have, you know, once a commencement ceremony starts, um, you're, you're off and running, but, you know, prior to introducing a platform party or, you know, um, the, what the kind of order of events will be and those types of things, there is time to, to welcome people and say, this is what it's about and this is what you're experiencing and this is why it's important. Um, I think that those things are really um, essential um, and oftentimes get missed because we're trying to, to clip time or, you know, those types of things. And um, I, as you said, I think it just helps people to make sense and to see themselves as part of something greater. Yeah. And I, I think uh, going to your, your comment earlier about the demographics shifting of higher ed, I think that the more we can bring people into what it is that they're into, you know, it's yeah. like, no, that that's like, I had no idea this was happening. Okay, good. This is, this, we're all continuing to learn and we're all continuing to see this, which I think is important. And I, and I think it actually preps it. And, and nowadays when you have giant screens at graduation ceremonies and you can set stuff up with announcements, you can set stuff up with video, you can set stuff up with, you know, a variety of ways to um, occupy people because frankly, they're sitting there for a while waiting for things to get going. There are absolutely things that you can do to, to prep it and make sure that people feel like, oh, I'm, I'm ready for this event. Oh, now I have a good understanding of what all of this is. Um, and I think that's super important. Um, so you are here. This is uh, Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. And I'm here with Patrick Romero-Aldaz. We're talking about uh, commencement. And we are in the commencement season. And we are in the thick of it right now. Um, and... Um, you know, we have next week, uh, We every month we have our think tank episodes, and next week is our last think tank epi- episode of the academic year, um, and we are going to close that out with uh, our members of our think tank, and in the works over the next uh, few weeks, we will have a discussion on the impact of overturning Roe v. Wade and uh, campuses in trigger states and what that actually means for our students uh, who are living in those states uh, and attending school in those states. Um, we have uh, a focus on the Butler University Student Wellbeing and Institutional Support Survey. Um, uh, it's an amazing opportunity uh, for us to do some polling of our students, uh, and Butler is, is leading the way on a really interesting support survey. Um, we have uh, outcomes of the Special Committee on Governance, Academic Freedom, and Institutional Racism at the University of North Carolina. Uh, we are going to have a discussion with that with one of the people who was part of the uh, investigation into University of North Carolina. And then finally, we have the president of Indiana University of Pennsylvania, President Driscoll, who's going to be joining us to discuss his recent speech on the changing future of the university and what that means. So we have a lot coming up over the next few weeks. Um, and uh, we are going to have uh, full on uh, weeks with potentially the time of the show shifting around, um, knowing that we're going into the summer months and people are kind of uh, moving around. So uh, keep an eye, make sure you're following me here on Fireside. You will get all the alerts for all the upcoming shows, including uh, any changes in our usual dates and times. Uh, So uh, I encourage you to do so. Um, The last thing I want to say that we're working on, um, I had the great and good uh, honor to attend a webinar um, from uh, the University of Kharkiv in um, 
in Ukraine um, on the impact of the war uh, there and how it's impacting the campus. And uh, I have one of the academic deans who's interested in being on the show. This is really going to be about uh, opportunity, about time, and uh, want to be mindful of that. So please keep an eye, and uh, I'm hopeful that that will happen. Um, uh, what is going to have to happen It's is, as I uh, learned during this uh, program, uh, the university in Kharkiv has been there for, for hundreds of years. It's as if you were to drop a bomb on Harvard and uh, the entirety of the campus is now in disarray uh, with uh, even going to the library. Imagine, Patrick, the library that has had uh, works in it for 500 years are now dust and completely irreplaceable. And what is it going to mean to actually get this campus uh, back up and running uh, to serve the tens of thousands of students that it was once serving? And so um, I'm hopeful that that conversation will come up before the end of the summer. So uh, keep an eye on that. And uh, so to close out, uh, I wanted to give Patrick your the the kind of a thought on what is one of the best things you remember of a campus uh, graduation ceremony, something that brings a smile to your face and makes you go, okay, that was worth all of the aggravation and the hair, hair pulling. Uh, and uh, what was that? Um, I think for me, it is just the opportunity, even after the commencement um, ceremony itself, for to see students and families and students with faculty and staff just gathering and celebrating that experience. I always um, have been the person who will stick around afterwards to see who sticks around to take pictures and what are they talking about and kind of walking through. And um, I just think that that is really the foundational piece of why we do what we do. And mm -hmm. so to be able to experience that, um, and see that students um, are able to, to, to really celebrate all of their hard work um, and the folks that have supported them um, is just something that it, it makes my heart sing. Um, and so it's one of the things that I always really cherish about it, uh, an exercise or a uh, commencement experience. Um, well, I love the, the pomp and circumstance and tra the tradition of the ceremony, those after um, pieces, um, I think really are meaningful. Yeah. I agree. And, uh, you know, but I am going to say I, I am very critical of flowers and you have made me very critical of campus. <laughs> <laughs> I literally watch things online now and I see other campus, I see all these campus, uh, setups and I'm very critical. There's like that room raider that you might see on the internet who's like kind of became this rate my Skype room. Uh, and during COVID, his uh, Twitter account really kind of blew up because they started rating all these people who were doing Zoom, Zoom in or Skype in interviews on television and would rate it. And I, I have the same feeling when I see campus setups for graduation. <laughs> I'm like, A, where the TAM, B, where the gonfalons, what is going on? They had no <laughs> Like, like, and even the banners that are not the right size for the stage. I'm like, come on, give me a break. Welcome to the world. <laughs> <laughs> and the flowers. I need more flowers. I want flowers. Indeed. 
I want flowers that are high. I want it like a shrub. Okay. I want like a, a hedge of flowers. I want it to look good. So Patrick Romero does. It's always a pleasure. I love you. And I'm glad you were here to join us. And I want to invite everyone to come on back next week as we close out the academic year with our last uh, think tank episode. And uh, this has been office hours with Dr. DeVoe and thank you, Patrick. And on, Thank you. on that point, everybody, please remember, uh, tune in and get out there and learn something. Have a great week, everybody. All right.